Geek Top 5 Quarantine Edition. Yay! It was time now. There was was all the time I needed. Geek Top 5. I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And we're back for another, well, I guess not necessarily dueling, but a couple of top five lists, uh, but this time inspired by current events, uh, which is rare during quarantine because, man, who knows what time it is. Uh, unfortunately, not uh, not good events. And, uh, I'm having a hard time putting a positive spin on this one. Well, I mean, it's sort of timely considering the list we did recently, so there's there's that. Yet barely two weeks after devoting an entire episode to the Venture Brothers, possibly, possibly one of the best cartoons either of us have ever seen, uh, word hit the socials that the Venture Brothers have been cancelled. Which is very surprising, since it's been at least, what, a year, two years since the last episode aired? You'd think they would have gotten around to telling us sooner that it wasn't coming back. Yeah, according to the creators, they were in the middle of writing the next season when they got the word. Like, it wasn't even planned. It wasn't like they had already ordered this many seasons. Nope, they just cut them. Uh, it's also weird because, like, animated features are sort of been, like, you know, are really t- de jour right now. Like, you know, you can't get a lot of actors in front of the camera, and animation is really taking off. Uh, it doesn't seem like there's any good reason to cancel one of my favorite shows. <laughs> It also is frustrating because the last episode ended with the Venture Brothers will return, and you know and that's not a cliffhanger. That, yeah, yeah, a huge cliffhanger. I, in some ways, I, I could have seen them plan the cliffhanger as an ending because it's 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 such a shocking thing. It's hard to imagine where they'll go with it afterwards. I was excited to see where they'd go with it because the Venture Brothers have not steered me wrong with any of their their episodes to date, but it's such it's a real game changer of a twist and I you could totally understand them just ending the show on that, but that was not the plan and I really want to see what the plan was. Yeah, absolutely. Um so we're sitting here hoping that this is one of those things where, like, Netflix buys it and makes a feature or something. But, uh, listen, I, we're not, not going to spend... I think in the big realm of corporate synergy, the Cartoon Network owns Adult Swim, and Cartoon Network is owned by Warner Brothers, so it would probably end up on HBO Max, which is their Oh, their I don't thing. actually care who actually buys it. I'm just saying. It. As if long it's as it isn't happen, like, as long as it isn't Tencent Media, pretty much anybody. I don't know, freaking Kanye West could buy it. As long as they freaking make the conclusion. In That's any fair. case, though, we're not here to talk about the Venture Brothers. If you haven't listened to our Venture Brothers episode and you want to understand our pain, you can double back. That one is only a couple weeks old. But inspired by the stew we've been sitting in. Uh, we come here each with a list of our top five incredibly frustrating cancellations. <laughs> the, <laughs> the shows that we think, gosh darn it, they did they deserve more than they got. Yeah. So how do we want to start this? Hey, let's uh, let's let's just jump right in, Graham. What's your number five? Okay, mine already right out of the gate is a bit of a cheat. It's the series Mind Hunter. It had two seasons on Netflix, 19 episodes total, uh, lasted from October 13th, 2017 to August 16th, 2019. It hasn't officially been canceled, but it has been put on indefinite hold or whatever, indefinite hiatus. And <laughs> What's the difference? That's a very good question. I guess it just hasn't officially been canceled. Like Netflix is saying, hey, hey, this one's not on us, guys. Uh, 
David Fincher was sort of like the big brains behind the show, and he has gone off back to do movies and other TV series, I guess, and I think the the main cast have all sort of dispersed to do other things. So it feels like the chances of it coming back anytime soon are slim to none, and uh, so I'm, I'm sad to see it go. Uh, so I uh, have never heard of this, actually. That's not true. The name sounds familiar, but I don't know, Squat. Tell me, what is Mindhunter? And does it have anything to do with illithids? No. Yeah. Okay, well, tell me the rest. Oh, okay. So so uh, David Fincher is the director and brains behind it, and he's one of my favorite film directors. He does stuff that is generally sort of unrelentingly dark and very... Uh, very beautifully shot and precisely shot. And I just really like his his style. And, you know, he did Seven and Fight Club and Zodiac and, and uh, some of the, the more gritty movies of the last 20 to 30 years. And he also seems to have a keen interest in serial killers. And this show was the show... Uh, it was a, a, a very true-to-life retelling of how the term serial killer came about. It's about these FBI profilers who went and interviewed all these multiple murderers and sort of figured out what their their brain how they worked the way they worked, like why they did what they did and what the patterns yeah. were, like how you establish what uh, the the things to look out for in someone who does these sorts of things. And it was a really intense show. They the main characters were fictionalized pastiches of real people, but the serial killers they interviewed to get this information were all actors playing real people. And some of the stuff they talked about and some of the stuff they showed was it was really dark and really grim. But the continuing storylines were very interesting. We were getting to sort of know the characters' personal lives a bit more, and I was interested to see where that would go. And it's not going to happen. Like, there were sort of hints being laid that one of the guy's adopted kids, he's got some serial killer tendencies. And it's like, where is that going to go? What happens there? And and now I'm never going to find out. Hmm. Any idea what's going on behind the scenes? I think uh, it, it, it there were two seasons, and it took them... So October 2017, nothing came out in 18, and then the last season came out in 2019. So those three years to do two seasons, I just have a feeling it was too time-consuming and too, um, there's just too much hard work going into it while Fincher maybe had other things he wanted to do. And I, I think without him, the show wasn't going to continue. Hmm. So I guess that begs the question, like, would you be comfortable with it coming back if he was no longer involved? I mean, I think that he's set the tone already. It's his, his footsteps are laid, and uh, I think he, he also was one of the brains behind House of Cards on Netflix. And I'm pretty sure the series that series continued without his involvement eventually. Um, but he seemed very involved with this. Like he directed multiple episodes per season, which is more than you would expect for a big name Hollywood guy who's doing some TV stuff. So maybe he's just so involved that he said, if I'm not going to, if I can't be involved, then I don't want it made. Like, when I get time, I will come back to it. But you know how those things go. When yeah, something that... hits the back burner, it's it seems likely to stay there. Yeah, especially if new projects are coming up. Yeah, and, to be, and to be fair, pandemic, right? It's not a great time to jump back into a very expensive, complicated television show. Yeah, but this announcement was made... Um, 
before the pandemic started, so I don't think that was a factor. Mm. He's got he's got a new movie in the works. Uh, some pictures were recently released, and it's about the writing of Citizen Kane. So he's gone in a very different direction. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, the writing could have been brutal. Like we don't know. I I mean, it sounds very contentious. There's, uh, there, this writer, uh, I think Herman Mankiewicz and uh, Orson Welles, sort of dueling for credit as like who who deserves more credit for for the screenplay. Right. Uh, different episode, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> So I think that's it for for that. I, I would just like, really like to see more, and I'm sad to see it go, and, and uh, I hope they do get a chance to come back to it. At least it still sounds like there may be hope, so that's, that's kind of a positive thing. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, then I will jump in with my number five, a slightly different way of looking at things. Uh, my number five was the animated series Gargoyles, produced by Walt nice. Disney and uh, back on Buena Vista, if you remember that name. Um <laughs> Which is just on a lot, like this isn't just me, this is on a lot of lists of people who had no idea why this cartoon was treated so badly, because it was great! It Gargoyles um, had sort of three seasons, and we'll get into that, it's a little confusing, uh, between 94 and 97. And it's one of those, you know, it's, a, it's 90s Warner Brothers television where everybody is trying to riff off of Batman the Animated Series, and why wouldn't you? Um, but, but this is essentially, it, it's the modern day, but through, like, magical plot shenanigans, these, like, Dark Age gargoyles are now living in, in Brooklyn. And by day, they're cool statues on top of a castle, but by night, they're wacky personalities, but also monsters with wings who are sort of vigilantes defending the city from uh, everything from supernatural threats to their own Lex Luthor, who I actually kind of like better than Lex Luthor, but, we're, but, but I'm biased, and we'll circle back to that. <laughs> Uh, and every day you tune in and watch these gargoyles try to fight crime. It also had a, a very interesting ongoing mythology. It really, well, I mean, and by ongoing, you don't just mean the necessary bits of the show. Look, well, let me circle back to things. Let me get you right to the, the two things that are insane about this show that separate it from all the other cartoons that were in the 90s. The first is the mythology of this show... I mean, it's not even that different from other cartoons of the era where instead of being entirely episodic, it was really deep and really long-term. There's a lot of, like, long-term planning and character development and, like, characters you know, make decisions that impact years down the line. And, of course, it's a cartoon, so there's some time travel to see that. But there's also a literal mythology it draws a lot of Celtic mythology stuff and a lot of Shakespeare stuff. And when I say, like when people are talking about a TV show and they say something is Shakespearean, people think like, oh, it's very dramatic and there's misunderstandings and romance. No, 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 no. I mean, like, Titania and Oberon are actually characters in this show. Okay? The bad gargoyle, Demona, is immortal because of a deal she and Macbeth made with the three weird sisters, with the witches. Like... One of the, the the Lex Luthor character's butler, Owen, turns out to be Puck, like the Fae. <laughs> it's madness. I mean, you, the, you should say the the Lex Luthor character's name, so we're not just keep calling him Le the Lex Luthor character. Yeah, well, that's and that ties into the second part of why this show is insane. the The characters in the show, and specifically the cast behind them, are incredible. I mean, standing out as leader of the Gargoyles, uh, the character Goliath is voiced by Keith David 
who is probably the least famous member of the cast, but he's one of those voices. I know. He's one of those voices you hear or you ought about. He does every powerful male voice you've ever heard. Uh, Most recently, he he voices the president on Rick and Morty, but he was also Captain Anderson in Mass Effect. He's got a real distinctive voice, and you'll hear from it. But he's, he's, uh, I think he's Mary's stepdad or dad in something about Mary, and I, he may be best known for the agonizingly long fight with Rowdy Roddy Piper in They Live. Oh, you're right. You're right. <laughs> so yeah, he stands apart, like, as of all the gargoyles, like, the other gargoyles are voiced by, like, like you know, Frank Welker and, like, like, usual cartoon voices, he really stands out and he does a bravura performance. But the other characters in this show, I mean, the, the two major antagonists are the Lex Luthor character I've been avoiding, who's named David Xanatos, great name, and the bad girl gargoyle, Demona, who are voiced respectively by Jonathan Frakes and Marina Sirtis. Which, so, fans of Geek Top 5 are now saying, oh, wait a minute, Jesse, this might be, you might be a little biased. <laughs> Why you like this show? And listen, I don't know, they have some other recurring characters who are played by actors like Michael Dorn, and Kate Mulgrew, and Nichelle Nichols, and Brent Spiner, and Avery Brooks, and Cole Meany, and LeVar Burton. It is this insane Star Trek thing that they have going on. And the creators of the show have been asked behind the scenes, like, what the hell, right? And they said, no, we just, we did the auditions and we cast Riker and Troy as our villains and they're phenomenal. And then after that, it just occurred to us, like, well, since we have them, wouldn't it be fun to bring the rest of these people in? And it doesn't hurt that they're all amazing at what they do. They're incredible. And they're all, like, even the roles they play suit them. They're one of the villains. So Xanatos, he finds like he finds. I mean, Xanatos dis- looks like Commander Riker with a ponytail. Oh, he looks like yeah, absolutely. And he even talk like it's not Jonathan Frakes doing another voice. He sounds like Riker, <laughs> but sinister Machiavellian plan Riker, which is delightful. But he puts together a villain. He hodgepodges a bunch of broken gargoyles and like puts them together and cyberfies them. So now you have this half robot, half stone gargoyle who they call whose name is Coldstone. Great name for a character like that. But is so a he, character does he run like, a creamery? No, but because he's like he's stone, <laughs> but he's also like a machine. It's like it's awesome. But a character <laughs> like that, of course, that's Michael Dorn's character, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds, I mean, this is getting into my comic book nerd stuff, but it sounds like a riff on the uh, Bronze Age version of Bizarro in the Superman comics, going back to the Lex Luthor of it all. Well, you'd start there, but then they split him into three, because he's from three different gargoyles, he has three personalities, and they Um, end up being Iago, Othello, and Desdemona, which, (laughs) again, it goes in a very different direction. We could be at this for a long time, but you could see, like, the talent involved in this show was insane. Like, it absolutely, did, like, there's no reason for it to be as good as it was. And the fact that it never went anywhere drives me nuts. The first season of this show had 13 episodes. And then when it got renewed for season two, they ordered 52 episodes. And so the writing team essentially had to hire a whole bunch of new people to work on it, and season two barely has anything to do with season one because there's so much talent involved, like, like there was no way to coordinate it. 
And then season three, almost every single person of the original, like, behind-the-scenes staff were gone and replaced. And season three is Gargoyles, the Goliath Chronicles, and there are canonical errors between season three and season two. Like, it was always a mess. And and season three is also more of, like, a solo thing for... for uh... Goliath, right? Right. Whereas season two was like a world tour, and they see like the Japanese gargoyles and like the Irish gargoyles and the the Mayan gargoyles. Like it just, they never knew what to do with this show, and so I, I sort of get why it was canceled, but it was only canceled because it was so ludicrously mishandled. Uh, every episode of it is a joke. Oh, and I wish I had mentioned it. Macbeth, by the way, John Reese Davies, of course, because nope. every. Se- no Trek, well, not much of a Trek connection. Is there a Trek connection with John Reese davies Right, he becomes Da Vinci on Voyager. There we go, there's your there, Trek connection. There you go. Like, this show, I mean, I don't want to take up the whole podcast, but Gargoyles <laughs> is nuts. They had so much amazing material to work with that, oh, by the way, robot gargoyle suits, like power armor, so Jonathan Frakes gets like a, to wear a robot gargoyle and fly around and shoot stuff. Awesome. Gotta sell those toys. Oh, yeah. I can't understand why it stopped. Like so much talent and so interesting to watch, and it just—it seems like everybody who worked on it was either crazy or like owed somebody like a mafia debt or something. <laughs> I can't figure it out. Gargoyles is wild. That's my number five. I—I I, I think they're still making comic books of it, but it's not the same. It's got to get back on TV. Well, I think the original creator came back and did at least the the first run of those comics, so it was a continuing story, like how. Joss Whedon continued the Buffy story in the comics. It was a similar sort of idea. But I don't know how far that went. Yeah, and it's not the same. I mean, this show... I mean, listen, it's good. The story is good. The characters are good. But the acting is clearly <laughs> is clearly a highlight. It's also... It's on Disney+. Plus. So if you want to really binge it, it's uh, there for you to watch. You can do that. Okay, so my my number four is uh, is a show called Freaks and Geeks. It was uh, it's a it's like a family drama type thing or, or comedy drama, and it lasted one season, eighteen episodes from uh, ninety nine to two thousand, and it's uh, it, it sort of has found this legendary place in pop culture because it served as a launching pad for so many people who've gone on to bigger and better things. But when you look at the show itself, every episode is a very nicely set story you know it's set in high school it's a coming of age drama it's people teens finding their way in the world and it's really fun to watch these characters grow even if it is only over the course of this one season and they're not all likable and they're not perfect or shiny they're they're the people that would be the background characters on beverly hills 90210 or saved by the bell or whatever and it's so it's it's two siblings are the stars there's there's Lindsay who used to be a math geek but at the beginning of the series is becoming more of a freak the, the stoner and the sort of washout she wants to hang out with those guys and her younger brother who is very firmly a geek you know doing dungeons and dragons and watching stuff in the AV room and it's fun to watch the the A story and the B story between them as they're going on these different paths in life but let me tell you about the, the people involved in this. You got Paul Feig and Judd Apatow are the main guys behind it. Paul Feig most recently did, that. well, I don't even think most recently, but he's known for the, the Ghostbusters movie and Bridesmaids and things like that. He's the sort of 
king of these improvised comedies right now, and Judd Apatow has done stuff like 40-Year-Old Virgin, and he's got this whole empire of comedies around his the people he casts and the people he hires. Uh, and then the cast itself, there's Linda Cardellini, James Franco, Seth Rogen, Jason Segel, John Francis Daly, Martin Starr, all these people who have since gone on to, to be big names in their own right, and this is where they all started from. So yeah, I was going to say, so it serves as a launching pad, but uh, maybe a little too late to get them back. Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, this is from, uh, it's, uh, I hate saying this, it's 20 years old now. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> so they're definitely not coming back, but it's it's amazing to see it going, like if you watched it at the time, you had no idea who these people were going to become, but watching it now, it's so interesting seeing these people in their early 20s, late teens, some of them even younger than that, and and just seeing the seeds of what they would become. You know, John Francis Daly plays the younger brother on the show, and he's now writing and directing movies. Like, he and his, his partner, they I think they were involved in some of the superhero movies. They did the National Lampoon Vacation movie from a couple of years ago. And it's he's like this little goobery kid on the show. It's such a wild disconnect from from one point to another but the real heart of the show is the the heart you know the the, as these characters grow and change and go through these experiences there's heartbreak there's uh there's there's disappointment there's people finding new interests and new new life as they go through high school it's a really good show and up until recently anyway it might still be there but it was all on netflix and and very worth your time if you want to sit down and watch it uh, my favorite episode is the last episode where one of the freaks, James Franco's character, gets punished and has to hang out with the geeks, and it's all very tense between them because they're afraid he's going to beat them up and he's afraid of looking like a loser, but they end up becoming friends, and then they invite him over and he plays Dungeons & Dragons with them, and that's like a chunk of the episode, just the, the, that group playing D&D together. Not Very to mention nice that moment. that was like the you know when you're the when you're the guy in high school who plays Dungeons and Dragons having one of the cool kids show up and want to play D and D with you like that yeah it's it's and not even like one up of there the... with taking the head cheerleader to prom <laughs> <laughs> he's not even like one of the the cool kids he's one of the the badasses like he's yeah the... but when you're playing Dungeons and Dragons in high school everyone else is the cool kids <laughs> that's true that's true but it would be like and not getting like the star quarterback to play D&D with you. It's like getting the guy who would beat you up for your lunch money or, like, the guy who never went to class because he was smoking in the back. It'd be that. like getting James Franco. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, no, I, I get that. That, that. I'm just getting at, like, there's a little bit of power fantasy in there, um, possibly written by somebody who maybe was in a similar situation. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure the whole series is based on things that happen to the different writers in their lives. Like I'm they're all they all feel so real and so unique that they they aren't just playing on tropes. These are these feel more like real things that happen to people that have just been dramatized for the show. Any idea what happened to it? I mean, my I don't know very well, but I'm under the impression there was a lot of tension between like creator and studio. Yeah, it's it's I, I'm sure this may come up again in our list. I, I'm positive it will, but uh, I believe it was on Fox, and Fox doesn't always have a great track record. They they do a great job of greenlighting these very interesting shows with with 
strong creative voices, but then they seem to fumble the ball. They don't let the creators do what they do best, or they they don't let give the shows a chance to breathe and find their audience, and and that's what happened. I think it just got canceled before it could find a sizable enough audience, which it would definitely get. Like you, that show has become a legend. Like that people look back on it and see all the creative seeds that were planted from it. And I think if it had been given an, another year or two on the air, it would have found an audience and would have it lasted a lot longer. So the opposite of Mindhunter, unfortunately, far too late to bring back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So I guess that brings me to my number four. Um, and this one uh, this one was a surprise even to me. I, I was working on the list and started typing it out and... It, it's weird. It's like I had kept the memories in a box. So this, this I, listen, I don't need to keep prevaricating. It's my show. I can do what I want. <laughs> my number four is Dead Like Me. Um, Interesting. A, a comedy drama that was made for Showtime on cable. This is a show that I think like I watched at the right time in my life and that just has stuck with me in that way. Like the characters just live with you. Uh, and I really think, it, I mean, I don't know with the same characters, but I really think it had a great premise and all the, I, just, I loved everything about this show and it really bugged me that it did come back. The live action show, I know, it's weird for Jesse. Um, <laughs> the premise of this show is this 18-year-old girl is killed in a ridiculous accident and finds out that every once in a while when somebody dies, they get recruited to be a Grim Reaper. And it's not nearly as cool as, like, stained glass windows would have you think it is. Um, basically, it means that even though she's dead, she gets, like, a, a fresh mortal body and has to live in the mortal world still. Uh, but has a, essentially, a, like, she still has to have a job and a life and, like, work, like you know, survive. But also has to follow orders to go find people who are about to die and sort of, like, mark them to take their soul souls to escort them to the afterlife. Uh, and it is a very, very dark comedy. Um, and even comedy is a little strong because there is a lot of emotion in this. Like you get the, like she joins this group of characters who are all like it becomes very clear to us in the audience that the reason these people are reapers is kind of tied to the fact that these are not these people are not good. These are people who are in a bad way. And the, I mean, the acting in this is great. Most of these people are kind of nobodies, no offense, but, I mean, Mandy Patinkin really stands out, who's sort of the boss of their group of Reapers. He's the one who passes out the assignments. So he, he's probably best known as Inigo Montoya from The Princess Bride, but in recent years he was the big boss for a few seasons on Criminal Minds and then the one of the longest-serving characters on Homeland. Yeah, easily one of those people that you see his face and you go, oh, that guy who's great uh, and it's just every episode has essentially an a plot and a b plot that's like like one plot is character and emotional development and the other is figuring out the deaths which is usually where the comedy comes in ironically like usually all they get is like a first initial and a last name and sort of a vague date and like time and place and they have okay. to go around and find like you, you know g beckstead at this uh, intersection oh no. At this time, and then they have to get to the person before the death happens, and the death is always this ridiculous Rube Goldberg series of events. Okay, so it's kind of like the episodic nature of it is kind of like Quantum Leap or or early edition, where they've got to, they've they've 
they've got hints from some mysterious outside force and they've got to work out what's going to happen. Yeah, figure out the thing and find the person and all that jazz. But then the B plot is just like all these characters who have these horrible things in their lives. And I don't want to go into too much detail because I thought that the actors and the way they portrayed these characters just was handled so well that really following their development, I really keep a place in my heart for these for these characters. Um, and I want you to go watch it because it's great. And I think it deserves to come back. In in terms of how it actually ran, this uh, it had two seasons in 2003 and 2004. And then there's a follow-up movie with most of the cast, which is, you know, fine. But they never really went anywhere. Like, nobody really got their, you know, their pathos settled. They didn't uncover very much of the mystery. The show is very much just starting to establish its world. So it's the sort of thing, do you think it could have a a next generation style follow-up with maybe new characters? Absolutely. Yeah, you you cast a new group of misfits and you have them in the same world and and go for it again. Some of these folks must be around to, like, like the the, the main character, Georgia, is played by an actress, Ellen Muth, who I have no idea who it is otherwise. Um, but, I mean, she was in her early 20s in 2000, so she, maybe she's older now and still doing it. I don't know. But, like, you can bring the, those characters back, I guess, or just do a whole fresh thing. The concept and, like, the structure of the show still works. But it's just, I mean, we should move on. But the it was a combination of this, like, emotional upset and sort of working class ennui and depression about death and what is life all about that maybe hit me at the exact right time, you know, in my, like, late teens, early 20s, um, being, you know, really nervous about starting off as an adult and that kind of thing. Um, I think it, tar- it hit me at exactly the right time, and so maybe I'm coming off as a little biased. Uh, but I also really like dark comedy and some of the ridiculous, like, ways they do that. The one that always sticks with me is two of the Reapers are talking to each other, and they're standing at the door to a bus, and as they're having this conversation, like, about the A-plot, about something that's happening, a sports team is getting on the bus. And every time someone gets in, like, the stop, and one of the Reaper characters, like, gives them a high five or a handshake or a pat in the back. And each time you see the little sparkle of, like, they're removing a soul, removing a soul. And you're, like, while the A-plot conversation's going, you're watching, like, oh, my God, what is going to happen on this bus? <laughs> that kind of setup, like, really tickled my funny bone. I don't think there's any reason why it couldn't keep going. Um, and I couldn't find a good reason that it was canceled, except that the main name behind it, a uh, Brian Fuller, was kind of his show, and he had huge fights with the studio, conflicts with MGM Television, um, and left pretty early. And since then, it was like it, it's just been a mess of who's involved. And he's come out and said that like it was like it, how did he put it? Like it was the yeah okay, it was the worst experience of my life. End quote. <laughs> well, do you, you know who Brian Fuller is, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's had these problems on practically every show he's done, including Star Trek Discovery, which he got canned off of before it even started. So whose fault is it? It's hard to tell. <laughs> um, anyway, Dead Like Me, uh, I'm not sure where it is right now, but I mean, certainly there's plenty. It's one of those shows where there's enough clips on YouTube if you want to get a sample. I think it's probably into. on Crave. You think so? In Canada, yeah. I wasn't able to find it, but it's no? possible. Okay. 
Oh, and uh, by the way, earlier when I said it's my show, I didn't mean to say that. Like that's was, fine. <laughs> I mean, your this whole operation was your idea. Like, if anything, it's your show. But we can. <laughs> it's, you know, it's our show. It's our show. Okay, I just wanted to make you know. I didn't want to <laughs> didn't want to bruise any feelings. None. No. No harm done. Anyway, what's your number three? Okay, so my number three is a cartoon. Hey. <laughs> It uh, You mentioned earlier the Batman animated series and how the cartoons of the 90s, a lot of them seem to be in the shadow of that series. Oh, and your number three is Batman Beyond. No. No, no it isn't. Oh, it's a I good thought it was option, perfect. <laughs> I do really like Batman Beyond, and Batman Beyond does factor into this. Uh, oh, after, I'm intrigued. <laughs> so, after, so Bruce Timm and Paul Dini are sort of credited as the creative force behind the the Batman animated series and Paul Dini sort of came and went, but Bruce Tim was the art guy behind it and ended up becoming the brains of this whole extended DC animated universe. He they did the Superman series with him and then Batman Beyond and then Justice League. So Justice League was a series that was set up with, I believe, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Hawkgirl, Green Lantern, Martian Manhunter and they were they were the core team and there would be these two or three episode long arcs and that's how every every it wasn't every episode it was like every few weeks you'd get a new story and then that would end and you'd get a new part 1 when that ended after two seasons they started Justice League Unlimited and that is the show i want to talk about okay that's you're right it has a bit of a pedigree <laughs> yeah so it's 39 episodes and every episode had a different group. At the end of the Justice League cartoon, you know, there was some huge world-ending catastrophe, and they needed to expand their roster. And so, by the end of that series, the Justice League isn't just seven characters, it's 50 or 100 characters. And so every episode of Justice League Unlimited, for the most part, was a standalone with a new group of characters going off on a, a, a mission. You know, you'd have one character who would get a job, and they would bring whoever was available, and they'd go and... and solve that crime or save the world or whatever and that's what I really liked about it was that every episode would be a rotating cast you'd never get it would never got stale I found with the main Justice League cartoon the multi-episode long arcs were to me they felt like a drag and I was like all right this this storyline's kind of boring but I gotta get not only do I have to finish this episode I'm gonna have to finish another episode or two about this same story whereas with Justice League Unlimited just fast fun 22 minutes you're in and out you and and I one of the things I really like is seeing characters that don't normally get screen time like Vigilante or The Question or uh, The Huntress and they all showed up on this cartoon and because there wasn't as huge a commitment to do 20 episodes a season, it would just be episodes here and there. They had an amazing cast, like Ed Asner and Jason Bateman, Jeffrey Coombs, Jerry O'Connell, Michael York. They got to show up and be superheroes for a week, and then next week it would be a whole new batch. And they had some really fun episodes, like one where uh, they get turned into kids and they have to solve that problem they're magically kids one where where wonder woman gets turned into a pig and the rest of the justice league have to find a way to to fix that there would be adaptations of comic book stories that you would never expect to see uh whole episodes devoted to black canary and green arrow who at the time it was like when was that ever gonna happen and now arrow <laughs> and black canary have had huge long-running tv series but 
it was a great series, and 39 episodes seems like just scratching the surface. That could have gone on forever. You could just keep doing that, because it's a cartoon, so even if you have to get new voice actors, people are more forgiving of that, and there's just, it's an unlimited number of stories. See, and that's interesting, because that's what I found most frustrating about that show, is that every time I tuned in, it would be like, well, wait, who the hell is Red Tornado, or... You know, some jazz like that. Like, it would be people that I didn't really recognize, that I wasn't that interested in. Every once in a while, like, someone would see Superman. And right. be like, well, I want to see what Superman is up to. <laughs> That's fair. I, I mean, personally, uh, so this is getting into some personal bias here, but I tend to find that the DC characters, on the whole, and it's sort of like painting with a broad brush, but I tend to find DC characters are ridiculously overpowered. Oh, and no, I think we've we have, we've committed to that on the show, for sure. You, you can sure. say that. <laughs> and so, a whole series where you've got Superman, who's invulnerable, can fly, can shoot stuff out of his eyes, Martian Manhunter, who can do the same, except he's also telepathic, Wonder Woman, who can do the same, except she's also got a lasso of truth and can talk to animals. It's like, what kind of... What kind of danger are you going to put them in? Like, at what point does it stop being relatable and interesting? And with this group of characters, it tended to be the the less powerful characters getting a chance to get the spotlight. And you get to see them face things that are a bit more, I don't know, a bit more grounded. As much as magically being turned into a pig is grounded. But they're, <laughs> they're problems. And comic book grounded. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're problems that you can appreciate a bit more, and and it gave and there was a bit more variety. It, in order for there to be a problem to justify those super massive godlike superheroes, it's always got to be world-ending or galaxy-ending sort of problems. But you can have a story where it's just Huntress in the question trying to figure out what this mobster is doing and that works with these characters that doesn't work with superman he's just got his super hearing he's gonna hear whatever he wants he's got x-ray vision you know so that's Uh, what i liked about it yeah okay no that's fair and beyond that as a comic book fan i'm also more i guess like i when new characters are introduced i already have some sort of background with them so i'm not like struggling to figure out who red tornado is I already have some sort of back pocket understanding of it, and maybe that's why it was canceled. Because, you know, like like you, kids don't care who Red Tornado is or Booster Gold. It's I mean, like... do adults care who Red Tornado is? Let's be fair. Some do. Really? Really? Sure. Uh, I, okay. I guarantee you there's a hardcore Red Tornado fan listening to this show right now. If you are a hardcore Red Tornado <laughs> fan, email us at geektop5gmail.com. I want to hear from you. We want to talk to you. But sorry, please continue. Yeah, so this one is is uh, definitely more of a personal one than, than some of the others where I'm like, this is unjust. The world needed more of this. This is just for me. I would have liked to have seen more and get to see some of these other characters like have a Guy Gardner show up or, uh, you know, a whole episode that's just Blue Beetle and, and Booster Gold joking around. I could have I could have lived with that. It's interesting. Like they're I felt like like I consider Booster Gold and Blue Beetle to be sort of higher tier. Like my like my understanding of the the DC universe sort of looks like a Maslow's like pyramid. <laughs> like you like you got Superman, Batman and Wonder Woman at the top and then like Flash and Green Arrow and I guess Cyborg nowadays like directly under that. And then some of the more 
like Booster Gold and those characters are a little under there. Like it feels like there are levels of familiarity. Sure, sure. And then when That's you get the same in, with Marvel too. Sure. And when you get down to the bottom, it's just kind of like the equivalent of like a Star Trek red shirt. It's like, you know, Superman and Batman and like, you know, the 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 meter maid go out to <laughs> to, to do whatever. Um so I well, don't know, like I, Vigilante I guess, or Shining Knight. Oh god, Shining Knight. Yeah, okay. See like this is tickling old old dusty files in my memory <laughs> that I haven't looked at in a long time. Uh, again, it's because who I just I don't know. I, I had trouble connecting with like lame superheroes in the world of DC. For some reason, it works better in Marvel. I think in general, Marvel is better at setting up characters who aren't perfect, who have flaws. Whereas in DC, it's like when you have Superman and Wonder Woman at the top, it's like you know who cares that you can like, you know throw yeah. a ball good. Why bother? Yeah, so I don't know. Like Justice League Unlimited to me was always the like that's the bad Justice League show. Uh, <laughs> How dare you! I, I know, I know, and you like it, and you've given very good reasons for liking it. Um, but it's like, I, I, it's just fascinating to me always how you and I are so the same and yet so different. <laughs> All right, well, let's. Uh, what's your number three? So I can bash it. Yeah, sure. No, and you can too. It's an easy one to bash. I number three. My number three. You knew it had to be on there somewhere. Is the cartoon series BattleTech? Ah, yeah. It's so avid listeners of the show know BattleTech by now. If you're just tuning in, we had a mostly self-indulgent BattleTech feature a few weeks back. So double back to check that out. Short, short version. It's BattleTech is a sci-fi like role-playing franchise with games and and a cartoon at most at this point. That's Game of Thrones meets Star Wars with giant robots. That's the very fast version. It, in 1994, had one season of an animated feature at 13 episodes plus a clip show. Uh, the, the adventures of Adam Steiner during the initial clan invasion where the, the various sort of, you know, rats of the inner sphere had to pull together to fight off the clan invasion. And yeah, I'm biased because I am a Battletech fanatic. I mean, more than I love Star Trek, even I love Battletech. But this, to me seemed like the perfect cartoon both for the 90s where what you were doing like where you were combining those action and like action and story like having that right mix of both but also like my god the toys they could have sold off of this cartoon i have no idea how it failed and let me get that out of the way right now it's i don't think anyone has any idea what happened behind the scenes of this cartoon because the details of its production are lost to time like i could barely drag up a list of the voice cast like i had to do some digging i had to i, I checked the official source book it's not in there the the credits of the show don't even list it by character there's just like n- names as voice oh man like, there yeah like it looks like like i don't know what happened somebody nuked what happened behind the scenes with this show. But what we know is that it was produced for syndication by Saban, which is a name that, you know, I, I don't know, it's not an exclusively Canadian thing, obviously, but we saw it a lot in Canada on Channel 17 back in the day. You might remember the Saban logo, that spinning gold disc that filled in a plaque. I think they're making a, kind of a comeback. Hey, well, hey, here's a way they could. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this show, 
typically, like, so you have these future space army guys. They would get into a situation that, you know, so there'd be a, you know, a military conflict, but it would be complicated by one of their, you know, personality flaws. Somebody doesn't trust somebody, or somebody's going off to do something on their own when they shouldn't, and they'd fight the bad guys and be able to, like, you know, rein in the, the lost member of the flock, but at the same time, that unique mistake that they made tied to their personality happened to have them solve the problem and fight off the clans in a unique way, and everyone gets back to the dropship happily. And then, and because you know, when they're doing that, they have to fight in giant robots, and this was a very early sort of reboot era of computer graphics. I, I think even before reboot, but yeah. Yeah, like this is back when CG in animated series was very new, but it was the highlight of the show, and they worked it into the plot because the clans, the super technologically advanced bad guys, had this enhanced imaging targeting system that, you know, they could see the world in cool 3D. And this, and this they, they play that with that in the games, too. But so you'd have a character, like, always look directly into the, you know, the faux camera and say, initiate enhanced imaging. And then instead of the hand-drawn animated style, it would go to the computer animated style. And all these cool 3D models of robots would shoot lasers and missiles at each other. And it was great. It had everything, you know, a young boy in the 90s needed, right? It had heroes, it had machines, it had lasers and explosions. And again, I'm like, we can admit all of these cartoons from like around the early 80s until well into the 2000s really had no other purpose but to sell toys. Even the Batman series were all, you know, we're all so fond of Batman the Animated Series and it has good stuff. But my god, the Batman toys you could buy in a Toys R Us, right? Batman in a ski suit, Batman in a helicopter, <laughs> Batman... Like just There were all of those. There was a very limited run of toys from this show, which is completely insane because there are literally hundreds of battle mech designs. Like, all you had to do was draw these robots on there, have a character say its name six or seven times, and you have like a Transformers level of saturation in the market. They could have sold so many of these toy robots just by running these 22-minute-long commercials for them. And I have no idea why it didn't succeed. I'm going to assume it's because computer graphics were expensive back then. Uh, Maybe that's it. But if it was, it's sure as heck not now. That's how all cartoons are done these days. Time is ripe for a reboot. That is true. It would have to be a very different show, I imagine. Um, but yeah, I think it could it could work. Uh, do you think it's possible that it just came out a little too late? Do you think maybe it would have worked better, obviously without the computer graphics, but maybe in the 80s heyday with Transformers and other giant robot shows? See, it's tricky because how can you compete with Transformers? True, like, true. I, let me say, I love Battletech, but Transformers is an unstoppable juggernaut. They're still making Transformers shows. They're still making Transformers toys. It, I have a couple seems, of them. <laughs> it seems like they kind of, that genre had run its course a little bit by the mid-90s. Nah, see, I feel like if it maybe it just came out a little bit later. If the technology behind the graphics was a little bit better, then like this... Because cartoons got into kind of a weird place after that, but no one ever really gave up on the action cartoon. You know, the Batman, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like, they've been through phases, but they've always been there. That that formula of action and 
clever dialogue and toy sales has never gone away and not being able to tap into it for this is is a mystery that i feel like i'm going to go to my grave without solving because there is just no trace of this show it's like no records of who worked on it or what happened to it it's not out on dvd it's not on streaming the there's like one set of like rips of some like somebody ripped his vhs tapes of this show and posted them online and they eventually ended up on youtube or somewhere and everywhere you go it's the exact same rips full of static and like i think one of them has a wkbs logo on it still like there's that's the only place you can even find it it doesn't seem like this cartoon exists anywhere and so it's on my list because i love BattleTech and i want to see more because i can't understand why it wasn't successful and it could be again but also because it feels like there's some illuminati shit or something covering <laughs> it up because this is rare merchandise and that is very weird all right so. yeah <laughs> that i think covers it all what is your number two this one we uh, can probably, I, I, we won't, but I we could probably cover it pretty quickly. I'm not even gonna bury the lead. Star Trek, the original series. Ah, uh, well, yeah. Went from September eighth, nineteen sixty six, to June third, nineteen sixty nine. Three seasons. It was, I think, officially canceled after the second season. But there was this legendary letter writing campaign that convinced them to bring it back. Roddenberry was like, let's do it. You're bringing us back. Give us a fair chance. Put us on at a good time and give us a budget. And the studio was like, we will do just that. And then put buried them at like 10 p.m. on a Wednesday and slashed their budget by 10%. So Roddenberry actually said, uh, that's it. I, I threatened that I wouldn't be involved if this is how it was going to go. So I got to stick to my guns. And Roddenberry's barely involved in the third season. So... It's kind of like it got canceled and then was just a zombie for that last season. I think we can all agree the third season of the original series is not its best. And by the end, they aren't even trying. Like, It's not Nurse, awesome. No, Nurse Chapel shows up in the last episode with brown hair with no explanation and, and no one just no one gives a damn. Like they didn't get her the wig or they forgot to do the dye and just figured I, the hell with it. I think Majel Barrett had stolen all of her wigs by that point, and, <laughs> and no one cared. And I'm not even joking. I think that's true. Really? That's so, fascinating. I gotta look that up. <laughs> yeah, so it's... it's Obviously, it all worked out pretty well for Star Trek in the long run, but there was about 20 years before another TV series started, uh, 10 years before the, the movies took off and the, the series reju was rejuvenated through that. But I feel like there was a lot of untapped potential left in the series after the end of season two. And even at the end of season three, there were still places they could have gone. And we were promised a five-year mission, right? And we got two and a half if we're, we're being generous. Being generous. Yeah, so, and now, then, was the animated series that came after that, does that count as the rest of the mission? I think, retrospectively, we can count it, but I think for a long time, no one counted the animated series as canon. No one no, considered that legit. I, I think they still don't. Like, I think it's still sort of, uh, you know, like the red-headed stepchild of the <laughs> franchise. True, but there are some things that have made their way into canon, like like some of 
Spock's childhood. That that was maybe the only thing for a long time that people really counted. But more and more little details like Robert April being the first captain, that's all from the animated series. Right. Uh, things like right. that. Right, that was they found the planet where everything ages backwards. He, like... That was the Robert Averill episode, right? I think so. Okay. <laughs> Look, I'm not an expert on the animated series by any stretch of the anima- uh, animation, any stretch <laughs> of the imagination. <laughs> but that original series was so good, and, and as we learned from the movies, the supporting cast had a lot to offer, but in the, the original run of those 79 episodes, Uhura doesn't have a ton to do. Scotty gets a couple episodes where he gets a starring role, but for the most part, it's the William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy show, and if they had extended it for those extra couple of years, maybe the rest of the cast would have had a chance to shine, and, you know, I know Nichelle Nichols was always waffling on whether she was going to continue with the show, and uh, George Takei's movie career was, was always getting in the way, but maybe if they had really had a chance, those other characters could have been more important and, and stood out and had a chance to make a bigger impact on the Star Trek that we know and love. That's what I really would have liked to see from a continuing continuation of it. Do you think they would have done that back in the 60s, though? Probably not, especially from everything I've read, Shatner was real particular about how many lines he had and compared to the rest of the cast because it always was starring William Shatner also starring Leonard Nimoy and DeForest Kelly and then the rest of the crew was just in the end credits they didn't even get a credit at the beginning of the show so because of that he was always very keen on making sure he had the most lines he was the star he was always going to be the lead but maybe four or five seasons in, maybe he's willing to loosen the grip a little bit, let other people get a chance in the spotlight. I mean, from what I understand about how the, the cast you know, related to him, it's more likely like they would have found him face down in a ditch by season four, but... <laughs> that's true. But, but it is nice. It is fun to wonder what could have happened. No, that's... I See, I didn't consider the original Star Trek because it just... It seems so right to me now. Like, like, like the Star Trek is in my Bible. Is that like, yes, and then there were the three seasons of the original series... <laughs> And, and uh, the great bird of the galaxy spoke. Indeed. Yeah. Kirk begat Picard, begat Cisco. Um, but no, that's, that's, that, that's fair. It's very interesting to think what else could they have done with it. It also, it's like, would we have gotten the next generation? Maybe people would have been like, five seasons, that was enough. We got our Star Trek fill. We don't need any more. Ooh, that's a dark timeline. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Definitely a different timeline. But, uh, yeah. So, so that's my number two. All right. So, my number two, um, another cartoon. Uh, this one's going to make a lot more sense to me, but I may have to explain it to all y'all. My number two frustrating cancellation is Invader Zim. I knew it would be on your list. I knew it! <laughs> I mean, how, God, how could it not? Uh, Invader Zim is an animated, uh, it's a sci-fi, yeah, dark comedy, I guess, created by this guy, Jonan Vasquez, um, who as, is... As dark as Saturday morning cartoons get. As dark as Saturday morning cartoons get, that's fair. Um, and we'll put it this way, one of the reasons the show was canceled is just because there was constant back and forth that they wouldn't let him make it as dark as he wanted. Um, Jonan Vasquez is a, listen, he's a, I'm going to call him out, he's a weird dude. Um, <laughs> to be, he suffers from hypnophobia, he suffers from insomnia, and a What's lot of his... hypnophobia? Like, he, he, he has a phobia about falling asleep. Oh, okay. 
Um, and a lot of his comics, like like his breakout comic book work is Johnny the Homicidal Maniac, uh, who who never sleeps because his world is haunted by demons and monsters. And it's it, that, listen, that is not an Saturday morning cartoon. That is a seriously dark work. Like, like there's a he, he, part of his crazy is there's a, a wall in his apartment that constantly needs to be wet with blood. Like that's his OCD. It needs to have fresh blood on it or something horrible will happen. Hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> so so Nickelodeon wants to make a cartoon to sort of target like the age 14 to 16, and they call him, which, I mean, think about that. So Kids TV calls the guy behind Johnny the Homicidal Maniac and says, hey, can you tone it down a little, but then make a cartoon for us? I, I feel like it worked. It, I, I feel like it did, too. Um, apparently, other people didn't, because it's only got about 27 episodes uh, before they just kicked it to the curb. Um, but this, So this show, uh, Invader Zim, is about a, an alien blending in with human life, uh, like to prepare the Earth for the coming alien conquest, except this alien is a screw-up. And so, like, the pilot episode is, like, the, the, the alien empire is preparing their, their secret invaders, and this guy, like, they keep, we want to get rid of him, and so they just shoot him off to the end of the galaxy, where he stumbles across Earth and figures this is what he's supposed to be doing. But, like, and he's terrible at it, but, the you know, humans, as they're portrayed in this show, are a bunch of, you know, loud, stupid, self-absorbed morons who don't recognize the obvious tells that this guy is an alien. Like, even in his human disguise, he has green skin. But uh, except for one kid, except for Dib, who is your, like, kind of typical... I mean, he's he's still a kid. You think he's, like, like what is he, like, nine or ten years old in the show? But he's, like, a, you know, a trench coat-wearing conspiracy theorist. Like, you know, the government is hiding aliens from us kind of thing. And, of course, he's right. So it gives us some credit. He's the only one who's smart enough to see, and he has to stop Zim. And it's it's hard to describe, because that's the plot, and you can expect the kind of usual cartoon hijinks from that from this, but it has such an, a weird edge to it. I mean, for starters, like, I, like a big thing about the show is that everyone is always screaming. Like, it's always manic. Like, there's so much energy in it. And the things that happen are just completely insane. Um, and I'm not even sure how to describe it. But this show appealed to us because of that ramping level of, like, oh my god, I can't believe this is going down this way. And it was so bizarre and and quotable. Like, the weird things that they said became part of our general conversational dialogue god like okay so here's the i'm trying to think of an example to explain that won't require me just reading the script of an entire episode here's one his ship crashes at a ufo convention like a bunch of you know hippy dippy freaks in the park and he's able to disguise it as a giant pig um and then has to sneak in and try to get it out and they find out he's an alien, but then his robot sidekick, who is piloting a robot that was dressed up like Tommy Lee Jones and Men in Black, who, using the name Government Man, is able to break him out, where they recover the pig, and then have an intense, like, chase scene, 
in the flying pig ship. <laughs> like it's it's just it's it's so bizarre, and I don't think I'm gonna be able to do it justice on this podcast. Uh, it had a lot of talent behind it. The um, the originally Mark Hamill was hired to do the voice of Zim, but they they replaced him because they didn't feel I guess because he wasn't zany enough. Um, Billy West was also and they they settled on Richard Stephen Horvitz, who has this incredibly iconic presentation to the point that like that's what he's known for. But if you need to know him from anywhere else, he's the guy who did the voice of Alpha Five in the Power Rangers, oh, the I I I I I I guy. Well, my understanding is they they barely did anything to his voice, and it's this like high pitched screechy voice that's just filled with energy constantly. Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna drop a clip in here, just because that's the only be the only way to explain like the madness of this show. Sim, yes, it is I. Oh wait, sorry, you'll have to move along, hideous goblin. I'm posing dramatically for when the dib shows up. I am too. What? Uh, uh, uh. I've been expecting you, <laughs> You gotta order a million pizzas, and then I gotta roll around in them pizzas, and that's the story about how I turn into a giant pizza. So that's the kind of thing that they're doing. And the show just, there was never, like, this is, I can't imagine this is what Nickelodeon wanted. I get it. And in interviews, Vasquez has said, like, he wanted to make it darker. He wanted to make it, you know, much more problematic and things that Nick just would not go for. And he fought back on them. And there's, like, there's a recurring character who's a kid named Nick who's happy all the time and everything's always great and everything's always shiny. Like, (laughs) Like that was so. I, I get it. The creator in the studio did not mix, and it got canceled. Um, that was a thousand years ago. But then last year, it was only last year in 2019. Wow. Um, Netflix bought the rights, and they put together a feature for it. So you can still find this on Netflix. It's called Invader Zim: Enter the Florpus, which is, it completely suits the show and its insanity. Um, and it's it's received fairly critical acclaim. It's a lot of fun. It's very true to the source material. It's very much like a long, really funny episode of Invader Zim. So I'm hoping that that'll provoke some interest. And by the way, there's a little homework assignment for you, audience. <laughs> if you can find some episodes of Invader Zim, check it out. But if not, Netflix, Invader Zim, Enter the Florpus. It's understand that it's completely insane. But if that's your jam, it's worth it. It also had a, a comic book spinoff of, uh, you know, also called Invader Zim. And there's one issue written mm. by guest of this show, Stephen Shaggy Shanahan. So go out and find that one, too. For sure. That guy, we, listen, we had him on Geek Top 5. He's a big deal. <laughs> Invader Zim number 44. In any case, that was my number two. Um, so, Graham, I guess I'm going to ask you what your number one is, but I'm sure it's my number one as well. Yeah, there's no way it's not. Should we yeah. say it at the same time? Yeah, three, two, one, Firefly. Firefly. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> yeah. No show's cancellation has ever been as infuriating as Firefly for the missed potential. I have to say i came to it late like i i so so firefly got canceled and then a year or two later there was a big screen movie serenity i saw serenity in theaters first i got free tickets from the comic book store 
and this is and that happened to me too. You took me to see Serenity, and I was right. watching it, and I was going, "Wasn't this a TV show? <laughs> like I recognize these characters from something." Like, I definitely no did not have that it. reaction. Well, because it was buried. This yeah. show only had like what, it had fourteen episodes produced, and only eleven ever got aired. They skipped the pilot. They skipped three other episodes. It was constantly like preempted for sports, so it was buried in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the week. And then they canceled it because no one was watching it. Gee, you wonder why? <laughs> yeah, and it's it's got an amazing cast: Nathan Fillion, Summer Glau, Adam Baldwin, Gina Torres, Moreno Backer, and Jewel State. Uh, it just on and on. It, it's 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 a great show and just so smart. And when you watch it on DVD or streaming, you really see the progression from episode to episode as the story goes. It it, it is episodic. You can enjoy it just on an individual episode basis. But the depth and the emotion uh, really is enhanced if you watch it in order. So much potential. Yeah. It's Listen, we're, we're burying the lead a bit. Graham, tell us a little bit about Firefly. What is Firefly? It's not about bugs. It, it's... it's uh, So a lot of things take their cues from westerns. A lot of sci-fis do. A lot of uh, samurai movies take their cues from the western genre. This takes it to a whole new level. It's a western in space. And they still have horses, they still have deserty, sandy landscapes, but it's it's about this this guy who's like a mercenary now, he's a smuggler, but his he's got this dark past where he was a rebel, part of this group that was trying to break from the, the evil empire that, that controls the universe, and they lost, his side lost, so he's got this tragic past, and he's just trying to get by and screw the man whenever he can, but take these dirty jobs just to keep afloat and it's so great you get to know his crew you you see through the eyes of these passengers there's a great sci-fi world that happens around them uh involving telepaths and karate and laser guns and all this stuff but it's (laughs) it really when it gets right down to it that's all window dressing for this really meaty character stuff where you get to know these people and their their deep emotional lives and you get to really love them over the course of the 14 episodes and the movie. And, and that's, that's a Joss Whedon hallmark. And I know he's sort of a problematic figure these days, but man, it's a great show and, and his fingerprints are all over it. And, and you really, he's so good at character stuff. And, and that's what keeps you coming back for more with this. It's, I mean, I have, I've talked to people who don't like sci-fi like who don't watch a lot of TV, who have watched Firefly and said, "Yeah, that was great. That was amazing. How could they have canceled it?" Like there's there is nothing problematic about the show. There's nothing that isn't working. It is in the world building. I mean, we love these characters immediately. They're incredible. But the world that they've set up, it has the potential to be as deep as something like Star Wars or Star Trek. The world of the alliance and the independence and the culture and the just the idiosyncrasies of the place they're in, it it successfully pulls off that thing where it's a place you want to be in your imagination. Right? Like yeah. that only the best franchises are able to pull off. Now, the thing that I find interesting with it is, is that Star Wars and Star Trek, part of the reason they've been able to have these long lives after their main story has ended is because they've got this rich universe and and we're interested in seeing other corners of it and and can accept new lead characters but man i would 
feel like I would have a real hard time going back to this universe with new characters. I mean, I would... It's it, Listen, it's too late for the show to be rebooted. Like, the actors have moved on. They've become different people. That's fine. And I, I miss them, and I miss that I didn't get the chance to see where they would grow. But I would be just as happy to meet new people. You know, I, I would always be comparing them to the Firefly crew and going, like, and it would be a real tough sell. But I would be totally willing to go back to that world. I mean, heck, that's they have a God. I wish I had the manufacturer here, but there's a great board game that came out that's Firefly themed. That's you're the captain of your own ship, and just like pretending to be, you know, in charge of that like, of a ship in that world and trying to make it out there in the wild west of space. Okay, like that, that sets your brain on fire. But but whenever we play that game, it's kind of a countdown to see who can hire our main crew, like the the stars of the show, to be part of your crew. It's always like that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, and and somebody you know, like somebody gets saffron, but then someone else gets Yolanda, and right. saffron jumps, and it's yeah, it's it's very in love with the show, and how could you not be? Uh, but I was thinking, you know, Star Trek started out as a. a uh, a take on westerns like oh they Gene Roddenberry's pitch was it was wagon train to the stars and then uh, one of the things they did with Deep Space Nine to set it apart was they said it was the Rifleman in the stars so the Rifleman was a different western TV show with a different style it was about this one man out in the middle of nowhere with his son and he's just trying to keep the place safe and, and new people would show up at his town every week so maybe if you take a similar premise like set it in the Firefly world but do a different take on the western have it maybe be a lone gunman sort of thing or like the the uh, Clint Eastwood type where every week they're going to a new planet and a new town and he's got to save that town but it's like a, he's the, the main guy and we're following him from place to place to place, and it's a new cast every week. Maybe that would work, but I, I don't know. It's a tough one. It's it's a tough one, but I'd be willing to try. Um, I think mostly the attitude is like one of the things we have to correct if we have a time machine. I mean, it's you know, don't eat bats, maybe kill Hitler, but also like go back and keep Firefly running because <laughs> I like how it's maybe kill Hitler, but definitely bring back Firefly. <laughs> Listen, there's some things that it's tricky to mess with in the time stream, right? Like, things are going to get worse. But I guarantee you, in the prime timeline, like in the main universe, Firefly ran for at least five seasons. Right. And, and maybe not all the seasons were great, but it ran. And there was a whole thing there. And I want to be there instead of here. God, just rest in peace, Firefly. You could have yeah. been great. And you know what? What it had, what we have is great. Is it? Do we know off the top of our heads? Is it on any streaming services? I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't know because I have bought like the complete set twice. <laughs> I should do that. I should get digital I, copies. I've got them on DVD and I've got them on Blu-ray for no reason. The, the Blu-rays do look a little fancier. I don't know if they actually did any touching up or if it's just the the quality of the encoding. Um, but I've got them to pop into the machine whenever I want them. Because Firefly, man. It's it's a great show, and uh, it's been a while since I've watched the whole thing through, but a couple of years ago, there was a marathon on one of those deep cable channels, and I saw some episodes here or there, and it, it definitely still holds up, and, and every once in a while, I, I really want to sit down and binge the whole thing again. Uh, well, that's, uh, that. in the end of the day, that is what's true about every item on these lists. 
just the things that uh, that went too soon that we wish we could have had had more time with. So both of everything on our list and, of course, the Venture Brothers, uh, you know, hats off, moment of silence, etc. Is there anything else that we forgot? Maybe there's you know, something you can't believe we didn't mention. Maybe there's a show that we never heard of because it was canceled too soon that you think deserves some attention. Uh, we would love to hear about it and maybe talk about it, so be sure to let us know. Uh, Graham, how can they get a hold of us? We have email, geektop5 at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash geektop5, and we're on Twitter, at geektop5. It, uh, listen, we, we really value your input because we really appreciate, just, we just appreciate having you guys listen to the show. It's always a blast. Our specialist thanks go out to you. Um, but of course, in addition, also a little bit of special thanks. Be sure to check out uh, our musician in chief, the guy behind our theme song, Jamie Reum. Uh, Jamie Reum official or Jamie underscore Reum on Instagram. Reum is spelled R-E-A-U-M-E. Be sure to check him out for more like sort of musical geekness and also check out his virtual trivia pub nights on uh, triviashmivia.com. It's uh, it's it's a lot of fun. He manages to make it feel like before 2020 again, and that is valuable these days. That should be enough to keep you busy until we get a chance to talk to you again. Until then, I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And this has been Geek Top 5. We'll talk to you again next week.